0: Merry Christmas. All right, come on, man. Cartersville, y'all, y'all leaving me hanging. Um, hopefully people in Rome and Adairsville do a little better. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Awesome, awesome. Hey, so grateful to have you here. I wanted to take just a moment to personally welcome you. It's pretty cool, right now, we have people gathered in three cities, Cartersville, Rome, and Adairsville, uh, one church, three locations, all celebrating the birth of Christ together. And so no matter what room you're gathered in, we're just grateful to have you in the house with us. And uh, we're gonna do something this weekend that we've never done in the history of our church. We're actually kicking off a brand new series on Christmas. The series is called To Know the King. There's five parts, and uh, four of those are gonna happen in January. So, this is me inviting you back. If you don't come back, you're gonna miss most of the series. But we're gonna kick it off tonight by talking about the birth of the king. And so, if you have a Bible with you, you can grab it. Head to Matthew 2 with me, if you would. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're gonna be. A few years ago, a college student at the University of Notre Dame wrote this in a class paper because we view humanity and thus its institutions as corrupt and selfish, the only person we can rely upon is ourselves. The only way we can avoid failure, being let down, and ultimately succumbing to the chaotic world around us, therefore, is to have the means, in parentheses, financial security, to rely only upon ourselves. Now, here's what this student is suggesting, that security is found in autonomy. That everybody else in your life is corrupt and selfish. I don't know if you know this about all those other people, but somehow you avoided that. I don't know how you put it off, but, right, the student obviously didn't notice the logical inconsistency in her argument there, but but everybody else outside of you is corrupt and selfish. Therefore, if your life is going to work in the way it's meant to work, which means no failures and no letdowns and no chaos, the only person you can rely on is you. Now, I don't know if you know this, that is a very Western idea. Uh, It is no secret that we live in a culture that promotes and celebrates autonomy, individualism, and we hear it in our messaging all the time, right? Follow your heart, live your truth, just do you. But in other cultures throughout the world, those ideas sound insane, okay? At best, they're laughable. For example, in the ancient world, people equated autonomy not with security, but with vulnerability. Because they thought, man, if you're pursuing autonomy, you're putting yourself in a very defenseless, helpless position. You're in the world, on your own, fending for yourself. And so for them, autonomy meant anxiety. That sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Uh, This is America today. Here we are, hardworking, educated people, running our lives, determining our own truth, yet we are more anxious and afraid than we have ever been and statistics prove it. Do you know in the last 10 years, there's been a 60% increase in anxiety in Gen Z alone, which just goes to show that our autonomy isn't working. This is why we have to be really careful not to practice what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. This is when you and I look back on all the generations that came before us, and we conclude we're so much smarter than them, because we're alive today, and that's not always true. You see, I think people in the ancient world figured something out that we would do well to figure out, and it's this. They believe that security is found in loyalty. So instead of you just doing you and calling the shots in your own life, that if you could attach yourself to the right person, the right master, the right king, and furthermore, submit yourself to them, that relationship would result in your well-being. And this is the belief that we see playing out in the Christmas story, so let's get into it. All right, Matthew two, we'll pick it up in verse one. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And we'll stop there and talk for a moment. Matthew tells us that all of this is happening after the birth of Jesus. It is not happening at the birth of Jesus. In fact, it's believed that all of this is going on about two years after he was born. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that your nativity set is wrong. You know what I'm talking about? The nativity set at home on your mantle that has baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and all the animals and the wise men. Okay, here's homework. When you get home today, take the wise men and put them in another room somewhere because they weren't there. They didn't come until later, and they came from the east, probably from Babylon. In the ancient world, Babylon was the center for astronomy. This is the branch of science that deals with space and celestial objects, the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, etc. Well, these wise men, they were astrologers. They held this belief that the skies or the heavens held all of these secrets and signs that could serve people and so they spent their life studying the stars for that very purpose. In fact, in their day, they were considered to be scientists because this is what scientists do, it's what doctors do. They study nature to serve people and to help people so these guys see this star in the sky and they know this is significant. This star is gonna help a lot of people, here's why. Around 600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, there was this Babylonian king, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, and he came into the city of Jerusalem and he conquered it. Tore down the city walls, tore down the temple, and then he exiled many of the Jews living in the city to Babylon. Okay, one of the guys he exiled, his name was Daniel, about 16 years old at the time. Daniel wrote a book of the Bible called Daniel, very creative title, I know. But if you've ever heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den, this is the Daniel that we're talking about. Well, in chapter two of this book he wrote, Daniel talks about a coming kingdom. A kingdom that would arrive and crush all the other kingdoms of the earth. This kingdom would endure forever. It would be eternal in nature. Well, we read earlier in the Bible, Numbers 24, 17, that the sign of this kingdom would be a star. That a heavenly body at some point would appear in the sky and a scepter would arise out of Israel. So we're talking about a king and this king would establish the kingdom written about by Daniel. Well, listen, the wise men would have known about all that because at the time of Daniel living in Babylon, there were wise men. And those wise men would have passed down the teachings of Daniel to the other wise men because of their interactions with the Jewish people over the centuries. They would have known about this star, and so they see it appear in the sky, and they travel some 900 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem to find this promised king. And I want you to see what happens next. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. All right, a couple things to know about this Herod guy. Number one, at this time, he was the king of the Jews, technically speaking. During the days of Jesus, Israel, it was ruled over by the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire appointed Herod to rule over the people, and they gave him the title king of the Jews. The second thing to know, this brother was a tyrant, all right, Uh, He loved power and he feared losing his power, so much so that at one point he murdered his own wife along with several of his own sons, all to protect his power. So it makes a lot of sense when you read in verse three that after the wise men showed up that all of Jerusalem was troubled. Of course they were because Herod was troubled and Herod was crazy and the last thing you wanna do is trouble a crazy person because crazy people who are troubled do crazy things. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know a crazy person? Okay, if not, you're probably the one. We're so glad you're in the house today, okay? But, but here's why he was so troubled, and I need you to catch this. Just listen closely, all right? He was troubled because he knew there couldn't be two kings. Like he understood that if the news was right and this other guy was on his way in, that meant he was on his way out. He knew there couldn't be two kings. Here's a really interesting note about the star in the story. When you go back and you read the Christmas account, uh, Christmas account in the Greek language, and by the way, if you're new to Bible reading, the New Testament was originally written down in Greek. Well, the Greek word for star there can also be translated comet. And in the ancient world, when a comet appeared in the sky, it was often interpreted as a sign of regime change. There's a story written down by this guy. His name was Suetonius. He was a Roman historian. And he talks about a time when Nero saw a star. This guy was another crazy tyrant. Um, He saw a comet, excuse me, in the sky. And he got so concerned over the appearance of the comet that he went out and murdered all of these Roman aristocrats because he didn't want to lose his throne, didn't want to lose his power. And so here's the point. It could have been that what these men saw was a comet. Not a star fixed in the sky, but a heavenly body that moves. And that would explain a lot about why Herod was so troubled. Right? These guys show up in his city. They come from 900 miles away. They talk about a, a newborn king, and then they tell him about the heavenly body they followed to get there. And here's how he responds in verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod was crazy, but he was also very smart. And what he does is he calls the religious experts together. The chief priests, guys who ran the temple, the scribes, the teachers of the law. And he's like, fellas, I got a question. This king that the scriptures talk about, where is he supposed to be born? Okay, he actually uses the word Christ there. And I want you to know Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? It's not like Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, Jesus Christ. That's not the point. Christ is a title, and it means anointed one, and it's another way of saying that Jesus is king. And so this is what he's asking. Where's the king supposed to be born? And they go Old Testament on Herod. And they quote this prophecy from Micah, Micah 5.2, and they also mix in a little bit of 2 Samuel 5.2, and they say, well, the king, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and he will shepherd the people of God. Okay, I need you to know something about Jesus. And if you're new to church and all this Jesus talk, this is really important, so please lean in, all right? Please know, Jesus is not a tyrant, he's a servant, He came into the world 2,000 years ago as king, but he came to shepherd. Okay, if you think about what a shepherd does for his sheep, this is what Jesus does for his people. He loves, he cares, he leads, he guides, he provides, he protects. In fact, in the Gospel of John, which we're studying in our church right now, we're just walking through it verse by verse, we're about six chapters in But in chapter 10, Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd and I lay my life down for my sheep. You see, this is ultimately what we celebrate at Christmas, that we serve a king that first served us. That Jesus went first, that he gave first, and when you and I were dead in our sins and trespasses, enemies of the God who created us, deserving of his wrath and judgment because of our sin and rebellion, God did something for us that we could never do. He came in human flesh to save us. I mean, think about that. This is what separates Christianity from every other belief system in the world, that our God is not distant, our God is not far off, but our God is Emmanuel, God with us, our God came close and he put on the same skin that you're wearing right now and he lived the life that you haven't been able to live and he did it on your behalf, a life of sinless perfection, perfect obedience to God. And then at the end of that perfect life, Jesus went to a cross and he died for you as your substitute in your place. The wrath and judgment you deserve from God as a sinner, Jesus took it, went through hell on your behalf so that you could be loved and forgiven and accepted by God. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. Now we're talking Easter, y'all. And he did that to conquer death and hell for you so that you could receive new life from him. And here's what I need you to know. When you choose loyalty to Jesus, Not autonomy for yourself, but loyalty to Jesus. You admit that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, and he's the Savior you need, and then you actually follow him. Listen to this. That relationship with Jesus Christ results in your well-being. He not only saves you, but he begins to shepherd you. You see, Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago not to take from you, but to give to you. He didn't save you to burden you. He saved you to bless you. And this is something so many people miss about Jesus. Herod missed this about Jesus. All right, we read in verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And so he gets his answer, and then he calls the wise men back together, and he's like, boys, I know where he is. The king was born in Bethlehem. And so I want you fellas to get on out there, man. Go find him, and when you find him, come back. Tell me where he is. I want to worship him too. Now, here's the truth. Herod had no interest in worshiping Jesus. Herod wanted to kill Jesus. You actually see that when you keep reading Matthew 2 2. He devised this very evil, wicked plan to murder all the baby boys under two years old in Bethlehem in an attempt to get rid of this newborn king. So in essence, what Herod did is he declared war on Jesus. And I need you to know people still do this today. Like this might be some of you. I don't know if it is, then I'm just so glad you're here. Merry Christmas, all right? But but there are people in the world today who very openly and arrogantly oppose Jesus. Instead of choosing loyalty to this king, this gracious king who came to serve and to save and to shepherd, they choose autonomy for themselves. They serve as God over their own lives. And they think in doing so, it will lead to security when it only leads to vulnerability and anxiety. And then they sit back and wonder, why is my life not working? Like for those of you who walked in today as the autonomous person, how's life working? How's that going, you ruling and reigning over you? My bet, probably not so well. But the same is true for people who very quietly and modestly oppose Jesus. You see, this is the person who would say, well, I got no problem with Jesus. I'm fine with Jesus. But they're not following Jesus. They're not submitted to Jesus. And according to Jesus, if that's you, that creates problem between you and him. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 30, here's what he says. If you're not for me, you're against me. He doesn't say, if you're not for me, you're neutral on me. No, you can't be neutral on Jesus. You're either loyal to him or you're not. You're submitted to him or you're not. He is your king or he's not. And if he is not, you have declared war on him. Now, here's the really good news. You do have a different option. You don't have to choose war. You can actually choose worship. And this is what the wise men did. I want to show it to you. Verse nine, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want you to know those gifts in the ancient world, very expensive, very valuable. These were gifts given to kings. And then Matthew ends by telling us that God warned these men in a dream not to return to Herod, and they departed to their own country by another way. All right, I love this part of the story because we see the grace of God all over it. I want you to know God is not pro-astrology, okay? Uh, We see this to be true in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 18. God lumps astrology in with other pagan practices like divination, witchcraft, talking to the dead, and child sacrifice. So God does not applaud astrology. It's not a good thing in his eyes, all right? But here's what I love about the story. He meets these astrologers where they are. And he uses what would have been familiar to them to speak to them in a way that they could understand all to get them to the savior that they needed. And this is how God still works today. Like my God is so gracious and he is so kind that he doesn't ask sinners to meet him where he is but he actually meets us where we are. This is Christmas that we have a God who humbled himself, who condescended, who met us on our level who came into our world to reveal the very nature of God to us, to make sense of who he is. And then God in kindness still speaks to us today by his spirit and by his word, and he speaks to us in ways that we can understand all to get us to the Savior that we need. Can I just say, I believe that's why some of you are in the room today. And I believe that's why some of you are watching online today. You're here because God got you here. I don't know what some of you are thinking. You're like, nah, man, I'm here because my girlfriend invited me. I'm I'm here because my parents made me come or it's just what our family does at Christmas. Okay, I, I get it, but can I tell you what's going on underneath all of that? Here's what's happening. You are the autonomous person walking through life, calling the shots, determining your truth. You're in charge of you. And all that has done in you is created fear, and vulnerability and anxiety and things are not going so well. And out of his great love for you, God brought you here sovereignly so that he could speak to you today in a way that you could understand all to get you to the Savior that you need. And his name is Jesus. He can replace all that brokenness in your life. And he can give you a brand new life. And some of you need that. And that's why you're in the room. God brought you here to give that to you. Listen, when all that clicked for the wise men, when they understood, oh my gosh, this is what God's doing for us. Matthew says they were overjoyed. I love the language that he lands on. He goes, they they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a lot of joy, y'all. Another translation, they were deliriously happy. So here's how they respond. They walk into the house where Jesus and his parents are living at the time. and They fall on their face at his feet. They worship him and they give him gifts fit for a king. The word worship that you see in the text there, it actually appears three times in the verses we read. Here's the definition for it. It means to express one's complete dependence on and submission to. So think about the insanity of this moment. This is a group of grown men at the feet of this toddler boy expressing their submission to him and their dependence on him i got a toddler in my house right now. She's about 16 months old, and I can honestly say at no point have I been tempted to throw myself on the floor at her feet and to express my submission to her or my dependence on her, because we all know the truth. Toddlers are dependent. Toddlers are submissive. And so this moment matters so much. Think about it. Jesus, at this point in his life, could do nothing for these men. Yet there they are, prostrate at his feet. Why? Because he's king. He's not just king right now. He won't just be king in the future, but Jesus Christ was king at his birth. And when you know what's true about him, your only option and the only right response is to fall at his feet and give him everything. And so here's my question as we close. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you chosen loyalty to Jesus? I'm not saying, are you cool with Jesus? I got no problem with Jesus, I'm fine with Jesus. No, you submitted to him. Are you a worshiper of him? Do you get out of the bed every day and fall at his feet and express your submission to him, your dependence on him? Is that you or are you the autonomous person? Calling the shots, running your life, in charge of you. Here's what I would bet, if you are that person and I'm gonna say it again, Life's probably not going so well right now because you were never designed to rule and reign over you. And here's what God wants to do for you today. And this is Christmas. He wants to take all that fear and anxiety and brokenness and he wants to replace it with hope and joy and peace. And Jesus Christ will freely give you those things starting today if you'll give your life to him. And so if you need to do that, I wanna give you the chance to do it right now. If we can, let's just bow our heads in all the rooms where we're gathered. And if you are that person who for the very first time right now, you know, I got to give my life to Jesus, then in prayer and in faith, just start by acknowledging your need for him. Just tell him right now, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I know I can't save me. And then tell Jesus, but I believe you can And I believe it's why you came. I believe that what you did at the cross for me, that it counts for me today. That you died my death so that I could be loved and forgiven by God. And then right now in this moment, confess Jesus to be king. Jesus, you're king. You are Lord. You've conquered death and only you can give life And so, Jesus, would you be king over my life today? Just tell him, Jesus, I'm done with autonomy, and today I choose loyalty to you. Be my savior, be my Lord. Listen, before we leave this moment with heads still bowed, I just wanna say, if you made that decision for the very first time, you just made the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. Nothing can ever undo what God just did in you and for you. You're a son of God, a daughter of God, loved by him in his family now. And the decision you made, it deserves to be celebrated. And so here's what I want to ask. Before you leave today, will you just tell somebody what happened? Um, our prayer team, some of our pastors will be hanging out at the front of this platform that I am standing on and at the platforms at our other locations, they're going to be there as well Just go to them and tell them, hey, I put my faith in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. We have some resources, a gift that we wanna give you so that you know what to do after today. And so again, at every location, do not leave without telling somebody what God just did in your life, okay? Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for Christmas. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that when we were undeserving, you came. And you did for us what we could never accomplish. God, we thank you that that you love us, that you meet us where we are, that you speak to us in ways that we can understand. And Father, I I just pray as we're gathered and, and as many of us have heard this Christmas story time and time again, God, I pray that as... As we respond and as we reflect that what is familiar to many of us might become unfamiliar again. That we might stand in awe and amazement and wonder at the fact that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And so Lord, in every room where we're gathered, would you just pour out your presence? Spirit of God, come and move among us. We pray that Jesus is glorified and honored in this place. God, we love you and we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and respond together.